Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. This is Clint Russell. I am joined today by the extraordinarily based, the brilliantly <laughs> red-pilled, the anti-war savage, the editor of the Gray Zone, the unfortunately communist, but nobody's perfect, except for <laughs> me and my audience, uh, <laughs> Max Blumenthal. What's up, brother? Thanks for the best introduction I've ever gotten. <laughs> I think isn't everyone communist who isn't libertarian according to libertarians like yes yes like, you are like correct Obama's a communist and Biden and no they're fascists but you know <laughs> the same same difference um yeah. anyways thank thank you for joining me man uh you are um you've had some heat on you as of late particularly given that there was this incredible bounty that was rolled out for Dr. Peter Hotez for ducking a debate against RFK Jr. And then oh, yeah. RFK Jr. agrees to a debate with you. I haven't seen a bounty, Max. What's going on? Why is he not willing to debate? I think that might be a way to get him into the octagon because he's not <laughs> really. He's got to raise a couple million. I don't, I don't know what's going on. He said at the Iowa County State Fair he was going to debate me uh, <clears throat> right after his communications director stephanie spears said he wasn't debating anyone except joe biden and joe biden of course won't debate him so he might not right. debate anybody but a lot of incoherence yeah well no kidding uh for my audience that is unfamiliar with this uh this drama what what was the debate to be about well i had been trying to reach out to the robert f kennedy jr campaign since the beginning, just for an interview. Um, and I was sure. supportive of many aspects of his campaign, especially his opening campaign message of opposition to the Ukraine proxy war and reducing US military budget by 50%, rolling back the global archipelago of bases. I, I supported all that and I personally knew him. Uh, I was sympathetic to his views on COVID, you know, opposing the dis the controlled demolition of the U.S. economy and all the remote learning, the damage that did to children. I mean, we were not, I was definitely not someone who was his enemy. Um, then he came out with this absurd position on Israel, unconditional support to Israel. I mean, most U.S. presidents since Eisenhower have not given Israel unconditional support, although they've protected apartheid. Um, and, and he did a series of events with these Likudnik operatives like Shmuley Botiach, this fake reality show rabbi, who were all funded by the late Likudnik oligarch Sheldon Adelson. Mm -hmm. And it made me wonder if there was some kind of transactional deal. This all followed on the heels of Bobby Kennedy Jr. being called an anti-Semite for offhanded comments he made that were not anti-Semitic. Right. And so he was overcompensating. And so I... Uh, you know, I did a takedown of his comments on my um, on our live stream at the Gray Zone, and then I went on Jimmy Dore and did the same. Um, and oh well, yeah, I'm getting the chronology wrong. This this was preceded by uh, Jimmy Dore hosting RFK, just for mm -hmm. a, a wide ranging interview, and then he asked him about his Israel Palestine views, and he repeated the same heinous things he had been saying before. You know, and lot just straight up lies like that that uh, Israel gave back the Golan Heights to Syria because they renounced uh, armed resistance. Just nonsense. And Jimmy kind of didn't know what to to do. He wasn't he's not an Israel expert, so he said, "Well, why don't you debate Max Blumenthal?" And our, Bobby Kennedy said, "Yeah, yeah, I, I I love Max Blumenthal, and I would be happy to do it." So he agreed right there. And but then you know then his staff started freaking out and. You yep. know, and then when I, and so it, it gets confusing from there. But the point is, he doesn't want to discuss this issue anymore. Yeah, well, it it is mystifying to me because he seems to be um, very aware of the corruption of the United States government. He's he's been one of the yeah. best the best voices, uh, particularly in this campaign cycle, if not in my entire life. He's been really, really. Uh, you know, profound and courageous in in calling out the FBI, the CIA, the assassination 
uh, squads, the, the, the lockdown insanity and the origin story of COVID, uh, Fauci's role, everything else. He's been, he's been great. He's also, uh, done as, as good a job as anyone on the Democrat, uh, you know, political side, uh, in, in explaining how Russia was provoked into this invasion of Ukraine. Um, so I've been very appreciative of much of what he's had to say. Uh, I do not, I can't really wrap my head around his unconditional support for Israel line, uh, aside from him being concerned about either finance, you know, campaign funds or assassination attempts. I, I, I'm trying to, to figure it out because it really doesn't jive with the rest of his ability to look through the propaganda. So do you have a thesis as to why? Or is he a true believer? I mean, I think I think we need to just examine the effect of what he did because what what he did was he destroyed support for him for his campaign from the activist left, right. and he slandered Palestinians. I mean, he completely slandered them. He lied and said the Palestinian Authority has a pay to slay policy to kill any Jew around the world. That all Palestinian resistance is rooted in anti-Semitism. That they're basically Hitler supporting Nazis. So he wrote off the support that Ron Paul, for example, was able to gather from many Arab Americans and Muslim Americans who were opposed to George W. Bush's wars of terror. Uh, he has also um, just written off support from many anti-war people who are concerned that the U.S. would start a regional war with Iran because right. he has not only denounced the Iran nuclear deal, and I mean, there are many reasons to oppose it from even a possible, from, from an anti-imperialist perspective, there are reasons to oppose it, but he opposes it from the ultra-Zionist perspective and lied and claimed that the U.S. was giving billions of dollars in U.S. taxpayer money to Iran so that it could attack Jews. Just complete, I mean, I could go into the details of the lies he told. I don't even know if he was, knew, I don't know if he knew he was lying. But the effect is that he has weakened his appeal to a huge swath of the population that supported Bernie Sanders, that supported Ron Paul, that supported Ralph Nader before that. And he's dividing the U.S. electorate between Jews and Muslims, between Jews and Arabs, when at a time when Jewish Americans are turning, younger Jewish Americans have turned their backs on Zionism and the Israeli project of apartheid between the river and the sea. So he's out of step with a lot of younger voters. And why did he do it? I, I think it was transactional. Hmm. Uh, people say, oh, he's afraid of the Israel lobby and, you know, maybe they assassinated his uncle. I don't know. They're, they're, they're right. scary. Okay, I mean, Bernie Sanders was a much more viable candidate in 2016 and 2020. I mean, of course, it, it was rigged against him. But in 2016, Bernie Sanders turned away from his previous, he re sort of reversed his previously pro-Israel position where he just said Israel has the right to defend itself and started actually challenging Hillary Clinton on the issue he still stood for like a two-state solution and a lot of the phony fixes that have come out of Washington. But he didn't face this uh, such hostility. He also uh, refused to speak at APAC. He was the only candidate to speak at APAC. I launched a petition to encourage Bernie Sanders not to speak at APAC. And he he didn't go. And I, don't, I didn't see that having much of an effect on his campaign. Uh, the threat from Bernie Sanders and the, the rigging of the 2016 campaign came just directly from the DNC, the Clinton allies in the DNC, and it had nothing to do with Israel. So it's not like if you moderately oppose Israel or just say, you know what, that's not an issue that I want to deal with so much. I think, you know, uh, Congress should vote on, uh, or we should, we should like, or, you know, if he had challenged the power of the Israel lobby directly, I don't think it would have had much of an effect on his campaign because his campaign isn't going anywhere anyway in this system. So what did he have to lose? So I think it was transactional. I know how Shmuley Botiach and Morton Klein, Zionist Organization of America director, who is his 
Israel Handler. I know how they operate and they're basically race hustlers. Like if you get accused of anti-Semitism and Shmuley was leading the charge against RFK, he's an anti-Semite, he loves Hitler. <clears throat> they'll, they'll approach you like all race hustlers do in the US and they'll say, look, we'll make this problem go away if you issue a statement saying this about Israel and then we'll give you some money uh, to you know your bank account, not to like something that's trackable. And we'll oh, do wow. an event with you. We'll do an event with you. And you know, someone they did this with previously was Roseanne Barr, mm. uh, who was to me, in my view, kind of mentally disturbed. They actually brought her, she was being accused of anti-Semitism for her views on Palestine. And all of a sudden she switched and became kind of an ultra Zionist. And they, the Shmuley, Adelson, Morton Klein network adopted her and brought her to Israel for a giant speech with like the heads of the Shin Bet and Mossad and like army chiefs seated in the front. And she denounced me in the speech. It was so bizarre. Whoa. I did not this see like that. Back in 2014, 2015, she must've been paid. She was, you know, her career was kind of at a low ebb. Sure. And she was paid, it must've been paid a huge amount for that. Well, and they brought back Roseanne and <laughs> then, then she ended up getting fired from that anyways, because ultimately she is a little unhinged, but um, well, that that's fascinating. So, I mean, th this look is at Donald really... Trump. Sorry to interrupt, but look at Donald Trump. I mean, he spoke at the Republican Jewish coalition. Uh, yeah. The coalition in 2015 as his presidential candidacy was kicking off. And he said, look, a lot of you guys are in real estate too. You know how to make deals. Like we need to make a deal between the Israelis and Palestinians. And then they called him an anti-Semite because he said, you guys are in real estate. Like, oh, the stereotype of Jewish landlords. Oh, but he was speaking as like a fellow landlord to the <laughs> many. <laughs> and uh, he didn't mean it as a negative at all. And what he said, I thought was, was what, what I think was a positive quality of Trump was that he was completely transactional. And so right. that's better than being ideological, like the R2P liberals who want to bomb every country into like, until they like host gay pride parades and are, uh, you know, fantastic democracies like Libya. <laughs> and well, so anyway, I, Trump gets, I, I, yeah. I don't mind transactional as long as it's above board. You know, if it's, if it's not though, if you're just taking money, I mean, the, the assessment or the allegation that you're making that he was just given money off the books. Is that legal while you're running for president? I would imagine not. I don't know. I mean, someone can, someone can pay you into your personal bank account for a, a event. I mean, a lecture. Oh, that's I don't true. Know. Yeah. Well, uh, it, it really, it reminds me of the Al Sharpton uh, yeah. tactic, you know, like it, they, they, they make false allegations against you and then they come to you and they say, Hey, we'll rehabilitate you. You just have to bend the knee. Yeah. Or like uh, kiss my butt, like in the South Park, Jesse Jackson episode. And by, I respect Jesse Jackson a lot more than Al Sharpton. Like well, he did same. a lot of positive and he, but, but, but yes, it's that model. Shmuley is following in their footsteps, but he's also not, and he's not defending a community that has been historically oppressed. He's defending Israeli apartheid and he's being paid to do so himself by the Adelson family, who are one of the top 20 wealthiest families in the States, owner of the Sands Casino, Venetian. Right. Um, Adelson's also a CIA asset who helped uh, destroy Julian Assange. But, but what I was saying about Trump was, uh, so Trump was instantly branded an anti-Semite. He didn't want to deal with that. He's been in New York politics a long time. He thought that was a poison pill. And he's also rich, but rich guys don't want to dip into their own personal bank accounts to fund their campaigns. Especially, I mean, Trump wasn't a billionaire. So Adelson comes along and he says, look, we'll get this off your back. And uh, Jared Kushner's there. He's a direct line to the Adelson people. He has his own network. And they say, look, just support the settlers and we're going to bring Shmuley around. Shmuley comes in starts hanging out with Steve Bannon. Mm. And that whole network defends Trump. Alan Dershowitz comes in and starts defending Trump. And they, um, you know, the rest is history. The Abraham Accords were announced through that network. And Trump basically 
told the Palestinians that there's no not going to be any two-state solution. They basically don't exist. He's going to deal with these other Arabs in the Gulf, in the Persian Gulf, who are rich, compliant kings who don't have to answer to any constituency or population and who want to dip into their sovereign wealth funds to do deals with Jared Kushner. Was that the Abraham Accords? Yeah. And that's the whole point of the Abraham Accords was to put the Palestinians in the historical icebox and then normalize between Israel and the wealthiest Gulf states, Saudi Arabia, UAE, and, and Bahrain and Kuwait and so on. Right. Um, they're dead. They're completely dead and the world has moved on. But at that time, um, I think it all started with, you know, Adelson and his network getting into Trump's campaign. Interesting. Well, what I've noticed in this election cycle in particular, and maybe it's just because I'm more uh, <laughs> woke, as they say, um, but, you know, Byron Donalds, uh, you have Nikki Haley, Pence, you have a, a whole lineup of people that all seem to be running to be the president of Israel um, yep. more than the United States. And, and I don't know if I'm, if I'm just noticing it more uh, or if this is actually a thing, but does this seem as if there's a, a, a real, I mean, I, I've just, I've just never noticed it to be this overt, you know, you have Byron Donald's just like, we stand with Israel. Like I've never heard this language of without any sort of, what was the, what was the phrase? Um, they, we stand with them like regardless forever. It was just like eternal. Yeah. I was like, what, what I, I wouldn't do that with my wife, you know, like <laughs> you, you can do, you can do whatever you want. Um, what, what, what is this? Like, why, why is it happening now? Do you know? Well, it's been happening. I mean, for the Republicans, there are the Christian Zionists. Um, they're a powerful constituency within the Republican party. It's actually different than the Democrats. The Democrats don't really have a constituency that is insanely ultra Zionist. Um, there are some older Jewish Democrats in Florida and a few other in, in New York who care a lot about Israel, but they're really fading as a voting bloc within the Democratic Party. And the younger Democrats are just done with it. They're completely, I mean, they think, they increasingly think like I do. Mm -hmm. um, then you have in the Republican Party, Pastor John Hagee, he's a power broker at um, Cornerstone Church in San Antonio, Texas. He's the largest, most influential voice of Christian Zionism. And with APAC, with APAC's help, Hagee set up Christians United for Israel to be a factor in the Republican Party and to make, I don't know, if, I think it was in his words or the words of one of his lieutenants, the Bible belt, the safety belt of Israel, which means like you can't run as a Republican without being an ultra Zionist. Gotcha. So that's partly who Byron Donalds is catering to, but then you just have the big donors like Tim Scott's entire campaign, Tim Scott, the Republican Senator from South Carolina, his entire campaign is funded by Oracle CEO, Larry Ellison. Mm -hmm. And Larry Ellison is an ultra Zionist who said that he loves Tim Scott's views on Israel. And Tim Scott, you know, he's a religious guy. He'll just say he's a Christian Zionist. Israel's the future landing pad of the Messiah, but, that's why Tim Scott's able to hang out on Larry Ellison's private island in Hawaii. And he, he wouldn't have a presidential campaign unless he was just a tool of this rich guy. Then Nikki Haley, she's funded by the arms dealers that uh, benefit from the QME, the quantitative, qualitative military edge that Israel has been guaranteed through $4 billion in loan guarantees, which all go back through Texas, Colorado, and California to the arms manufacturers. Israel is almost officially blocked from producing its own major weapons platforms by the United States through various export laws. That's why like Israel doesn't produce its own fighter jets because it has to import the F-16 and the F-35 to keep the jobs coming into Texas. The only wow. platform that's made is the Merkava tank. I, which I did is not useless. know any of that. That's fascinating. So, yeah, well, I mean, if we, if, if, you know, if Israel's our greatest ally and yada, 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 why would we not? I mean, I, I understand for the military industrial complex why we would say, oh, you guys aren't allowed to build this. We'll build it. We'll give it to you. Um, 
but how do they get away with that? It just seems like it, the Israeli politicians ought to be saying, hey, we'll build our own shit. Get out of our way. They tried. They tried to build a fighter called the 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 Lehi, I think. And the United States threatened them with sanctions. <laughs> I mean, it was one of the first times the U.S. actually threatened Israel. Today's episode with Max Blumenthal is brought to you by Nadeau Razors. That's NadeauShaveCo.com. You've seen my shiny, beautiful noggin. How do you think I get such a good shave? Huh? How do you think? That's right. Nadeau. N-A-D-E-A-U. Shaveco.com. Promo code lockdown. Big Shave has been psyoping the American people for decades. Plastic cartridge razors are a scam. They jack your face up and cost too much. You don't need expensive replacement cartridges. You only need one stainless steel blade. Be a man. Be a man. Be 40. Get a freaking razor that works, huh? And stop supporting companies that hate you. You remember how Gillette was just talking about toxic masculinity? What are you doing? Why are you giving them money? This is a veteran-owned, American-made company, baby. NadeauShaveCo.com. Promo code LOCKDOWN. N-A-D-E-A-U. ShaveCo.com. Support the companies that support the shows that you love and you listen to. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is NadeauShaveCo.com. Holy shit. Well, that's, of course, of course, that's the one time you don't, you don't mess with the mic. Uh, well, that's fascinating. What? Jesus then you got uh, other donors like Paul Singer. This is the guy who funded the Free Beacon. He's sort of responsible for the neocon network in Washington that still that has tried to burrow within the Republican Party and kind of got ejected like the foreign body it was by the Trump campaign. Um, and they, you know, Paul Singer, in addition to being an ultra Zionist, he got wealthy, by the way, owning the sovereign debt of uh, Argentina and destroying that country's economy he's just a vulture capitalist mm -hmm. but he has a gay son so he has been pushing for you know more liberal or progressive social policies within the republican party which has caused friction you know it's made him sort of as the republican base becomes more anti-woke he uh his candidates get less popular and I think he is someone who would be behind Nikki Haley. Um, mm. But Vivek Ramaswamy had a good point when he said Nikki Haley's campaigning to be on the board of Lockheed and Raytheon. I mean, none of, these candidates, yeah, none of these candidates have a shot, but they do. There are a lot of rich people and powerful financial entities in the U.S. that could use them after this campaign. So they need to be out there getting publicity, getting name, raising their right. name recognition and making themselves more valuable to, you know, arms dealers to wall street. Yeah. And wall street. Well, yeah. I, um, all right. So just to explain my background, you know, I'm, I'm a Ron Paul guy. I'm anti-war, but for that reason, because I'm a non-interventionist, I have not spent a lot of time studying the Israeli Palestine uh, conflict or war or whatever you want to call it. Um, I'm curious uh, for someone who has spent a tremendous amount of time on this topic, what what would be the solution? Because uh, you know, from from my end, I would just say, well, withdraw all support, you know, entangling alliances with none, that type of mentality. What would you like to see done? Well, you have close to seven million Palestinians living between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea who have either limited rights inside Israel or no rights, and essentially, and close to two million of them live in an open-air prison called the Gaza Strip. It really is. I mean, having been there, it really is an open-air prison. Most of the people I met cannot leave that tiny strip of land and never have. Wow. So there is no good solution now. Israel has foreclosed any the possibility of any good solution. But the best solution would be to give those people the same rights that Jewish Israelis have. That means the right to travel where they want to travel they they can't um even people in the west bank who um you know aren't in the same kind of enclosed prison-like environment as the gaza strip are effective hostages of the apartheid regime and can't drive on certain roads cannot leave uh to cannot go to jerusalem to observe the holidays of 
Islam, at the, some of the holiest sites, they can't go to the Mediterranean Sea. So you have people who, young people, maybe teenagers now, who have never seen the, the, the sea. They've never been to the beach and they live 20 minutes from the beach. So they should, if they should be given rights, but if you give them rights, that means the end of Zionism. Zionism is predicated on providing Jewish, like all Jewish people with superior rights within the Holy Land at the expense of the indigenous population. Right. And so it means that Israel no longer is a Jewish state. It becomes a kind of binational state mm -hmm. and they'll have to figure it out. It could either be, they could figure it out through a confederation, a uh, kind of Ireland type model, or through a binational situation where they serve together in parliament. But the problem is that the population, particularly the Jewish Israeli population is so radicalized now that they will fight a genocidal war to the last inch to prevent that from happening. And the United States uh, will support them the united Back states it, yeah. people won't the american people wouldn't support that i don't think but the american government because it's has so many incentives for maintaining israel as this spartan apartheid entity and because of the ideological proclivities of our military and financial elite would probably support that so so that's the situation palestinians find themselves in and i, I have to look at it as a huge tragedy because Israel has this massive military, you know, blue water Navy, nuclear weapons, but they don't actually have an infantry or a cavalry. Um, they have some artillery. I mean, they're, they, they, they showcase their artillery in Gaza, but they, when do they use it? When their men, their infantry, their special forces are getting routed by local indigenous resistance fighters who are often using homemade weapons, as we saw in 2014. I mean, the, they're, they're terrified to fight inside Gaza, where they're under siege. I, I've, I've, I've been to uh, you know, press conferences with the, um, the various armed factions in the Gaza Strip where they bring out their weapons, and I saw what they were working with. It's like, a, it's a classic guerrilla army with weapons smuggled through tunnels. And the Israeli frontline soldiers are terrified of them. And they had to blanket them in the entire, this entire neighborhood called Shujaia on the eastern flank of Gaza City with 155 millimeter howitzers and then bring in the Air Force and bomb the area just to get their own soldiers out. And they evacuated them in armored personnel carriers because they were just getting hammered. Officers were being killed. Um, wow. They were being shot at long range with homemade sniper rifles modeled off of uh, Danish sniper sniper rifles sniper rifles from the 1960s so imagine what would happen if they actually confronted Hezbollah again in southern Lebanon where they got whooped pretty hard in 2006 they're not really it's not a real military they they would they, they would have no chance against Iran in a regional war uh, and all Israel has is its standoff capacity and its ability to uh, black blackmail the world with nuclear weapons, which mm -hmm. is terrifying. And at the same time, it's constantly braying for war. It's constantly uh, provoking all of its neighbors into some kind of war. Well, look at what, I mean, just the presence of Israel is so destabilizing. Look at what just happened in Libya when their phony foreign minister of this um, government that shouldn't even be in power in Libya met with the Israeli foreign minister. There were riots throughout Tripoli. <laughs> People went crazy and she had to yeah. be fired. So, wow. Um, They're red-pilled. <laughs> well, they, I mean, they just know the history of what Israel of has course. done and they, they stand, stand in internal solidarity with Palestinians. So I don't think Israel has a way of bombing itself out of this and it, does, and it refuses any diplomatic uh, exit ramp. But it continues to it continues to believe that it can bomb its way out of it. So I think, unfortunately, we're going to see things resolved militarily, and that will be disastrous for humanity, especially when Israel has nukes. Yeah, no kidding. Well, that hence the quagmire we're in. Well, let's 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 transition briefly to the Pergozin assassination. 
you know, obviously no love lost there. He's uh, <laughs> he's a mercenary, but um, I'm I'm curious as to your latest findings over at the gray zone. Uh, is there any any hints as to whether or not it was Putin or MI5, CIA? Do we have any idea? I mean, we don't have any findings. Nobody has any sources because it's just you're you're going into the enigma wrapped in a mystery territory here. Sure. And I just look at who benefits. And when you think about that, it provides some interesting insights into Russia and how the state operates under Putin um, or why Putin is there. And, you know, throughout the 1990s, Russia was effectively run by oligarchs and the mafia with the U.S. behind them, pillaging their economy and stripping assets away. Right. That is what brought Putin to power. Actually, one of those oligarchs, Boris Barzovsky, brought Putin in because he was in the political and business network in St. Petersburg, and he thought that Putin would be reliable and didn't realize that Putin, like most Russians, was disgusted by what happened and wanted to prevent the country from falling into complete oblivion where it would be balkanized. And so that what Putin has done is he's restored the power of the Kremlin. The Kremlin is paramount and all challenges to the Kremlin will be headed off. Prigozhin was one of the most serious challenges to the power of the Kremlin by creating this massive mercenary group, uh, working with this former special forces soldier, uh, Dmitry Utkin, whose call sign was Wagner. The mercenary group was named for him. Um, to you know, create this transnational entity and to amass uh, some support within Russian society. And he's a former friend of Putin with this you know, kind of inspiring up from the bootstraps story of being a, starting out as a hot dog vendor in St. Petersburg to becoming a power, business power broker. But Putin had every reason to want to get rid of him given that he attempted a de facto coup Right. Uh, was constantly inciting against Putin. And I mean, the West was lapping it up. Prigozhin was starting to become, I mean, he went from like a figure on the FBI's most wanted list for supposed <laughs> election meddling. Like he was supposed to be responsible for all those fake Facebook ads. Remember that? <laughs> oh, and he then, was? I yeah, didn't know yeah. That. yeah, the internet research agency was supposedly owned by him. Holy shit. Prigozhin. <laughs> And and he's he's the darling of the media in America. Incredible. Then he became like this brave Russian dissident suddenly when he mar sent his men on a march against Putin. So I mean, wow. I mean, if I look, if I were a mob boss, or if I were the leader of a uh, nation which had been historically under siege, and right. all nations are kind of mafias in a way. I mean, the definition of a country is an entity that maintains the monopoly on violence. Um, well, that's Preach, part brother. Of it's 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 something you need to do to be a country. What I would have done was exactly what Putin did up to the moment that Prigozhin was killed, which which was to negotiate with him, to bring him back in, to establish political stability, but also to get him to drop his guard. And a lot of people say, oh well, he would have never done this during the BRICS conference. Russia was playing a key role in this major conference in South Africa on a, which was dedicated over 60 countries participating dedicated to establishing a as a parallel uh, financial order that could challenge the dollar mm. and building up a new development bank that could challenge the IMF and you know, Russia is under sanctions, so they have enormous interest in doing this. Why would he uh, shoot down Prigozhin's plane in the middle of that conference? Well, it may not have been Putin making the call and sitting in some like computer cave pushing a button like, now do it. Right. Uh, it. It could have been, you know, any number of entities, but that, that flight coming from Africa over Russian airspace with Prigozhin and all of his top lieutenants uh, presented an enticing target that may have been uh, so enticing that it had to be taken down. It's like the vice president of the U.S. and the president are rarely seen together for security reasons. Right. So it might have just been a target of opportunity. 
Um, and we just we can look at what happened since then. Um, Wagner mercenaries are being absorbed into the Russian Ministry of Defense. And which, is, which is what they wanted in the first place. So yes. So, I mean, and the, 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 the organization is coming under control of the Russian state, which was funding it all along. That's, so, that's, that was the big fight between Putin and Prigozhin in the first place. So if he ends up getting what he wants, uh, you know, qui bono, if that answers it, I, I think it might. Uh, but yes, I agree that that flight was essentially a, a, a hydra strike. He got to take out many of the heads of, or not just the head, but many of the would-be, uh, you know, successionary heads of, of Wagner. So it makes a lot of sense to me. Well, I, I, I know you're running out of time here, so I want to just get your, your take on the... Uh, Representative James Comer has been uh, doing Newsmax interviews. I'll play the, the clip after <laughs> you head out, uh, alleging, based off of my research, what seems to be true that in fact, uh, you know, Joe Biden had been trading on his name, uh, or his son had been trading on his name, and his family had been profiting from a bunch of corrupt business deals based off of political favors offered by Biden, who was the head of. Uh, or the uh, lead envoy under the Obama administration, and uh, and he seems to have made lots of money. They they claim to have the receipts. Uh, has the gray zone dug deep on this? And and what's your conclusion as to the the uh, cleanliness of Biden's transactional history over in Ukraine? Well, we we dug as far as James Comer has, and probably aren't following all of the details just based on how much we have to cover. Aaron Mate has done the most work on this and he's mm -hmm. finishing up a book on Russiagate right now um, that I think will cover a lot of this. He's sort of, he's actually working on sort of a trilogy so it'll cover Ukraine and everything. Awesome. And I've, I've covered the Hunter Biden issue. I think some of what Comer is, is doing is he's getting into the weeds so much that it's allowing for like the Washington Post fact checker to start to hedge and say, well, these were not actually shell companies. Rosemont Seneca was uh, a, a company that actually had business, but <clears throat> it gets and it gets confusing for average people. Sure. Um, what is clear is that Joe Biden, in his first speech to the Ukrainian Rada, in his first public appearance, was demanding that. Uh, Victor Shokin, Shokin be fired. He called. He just said, like the judiciary needs to be reformed and the prosecutor needs to be reformed, or I won't give you an IMF loan. And he openly said that there. Then he bragged about it at the Council on Foreign Relations. Seated next to him, by the way, at that CFR speech, was his Ukraine handler Michael Carpenter, who was a fellow at the Atlantic Council that was humping in something like two hundred thousand a year from Burisma as part of the Hunter Biden. Biden bribery. No shit. And, you know, he did this at the, at the, around about two weeks or three weeks after, uh, uh Mikhailos Lochevsky, the CEO of Burisma wrote to Hunter Biden, uh, we need to get Washington involved. We're in trouble here. Right. So the timeline all kind of makes sense. And Hunter Biden was on the payroll getting 80000 a month from a gas company where he had no expertise at all. And at the same time, um, Marie Ivanovich, the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, who was herself a Ukrainian nationalist, and George Kent, who was working out of the embassy, a State Department official, were sending memos. We now know this through Comer's, the, 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 the documents that Comer has been able to subpoena. We're saying Victor Shokin is doing a good job. He's not corrupt. And they replace him with a guy, Yuri Lutsenko, who was not even a lawyer, who is known as just some kind of a, more of a tool of Washington. And the investigation into Burisma gets dropped. Just coincidental. So, yeah, just coincidentally. So I don't know how they can squirm their way out of it. I think what Comer does by getting into, you know, into so many details is he obscures the obvious issue staring us right in the face, which is that Joe Biden was essentially the imperial lord of Ukraine when he was vice president, and his son was financially invested in the corruption of that country. And he is now back in office, and he played. they played a key role. I mean, the U.S. 
provoked Russia into a giant war over Ukraine. Joe Biden has just been so personally and, and his family has been financially invested in Ukraine that it's led us to the brink of nuclear war. And that to me is an epic story of corruption and scandal and not just financial malfeasance, but uh, political, a kind of suicidal neoconservative politics. And so I think you know it's 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 hard to find, and what I wish I could do if I had more time was just kind of draw a line between the Hunter Biden corruption and the you know the Joe Biden trip to Warsaw, where he called for Putin to be removed in a regime change war, and right. that's really what this is to me. But that that that's been my point all along. Is like I expect politicians to be corrupt. I expect them to to trade off their name. What I yeah. don't expect these motherfuckers to do is lead us into a hot World War III with a nuclear power uh, to, to cover up their corruption. And that's what makes me furious about all this. But uh, your work has been invaluable in this. Yeah, sorry. Just, just, just I mean, you have like Chelsea Clinton married Mark Mazvinsky, who was uh, involved with, got involved with Lloyd Blankfein th through the Clintons' connections. And they uh, gambled off of uh, Greeks, Greece's, uh, distressed debt. Right. Okay. That's the kind of corruption we're used to. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is uh, not good. Don't get me wrong. It, it's very bad, but it's just kind of like you just shrug, but the Hunter Biden corruption and the, the other element to it is if his name was Hunter Johnson, do you think that, uh, you know, David Weiss would have given him a plea deal on what he did? Uh, no, um, think, no, I don't No, He would be up the river, like millions of black men, Right. That were jailed because of Joe Biden's crime bill lobbying. So that's the other aspect to this that I think hasn't been emphasized enough. Right. Yeah. It's it's truly evil on uh, more levels than I can possibly uh, quantify. Um, look, your work uh, over at the Gray Zone has been incredibly invaluable during this period, and I really appreciate your efforts. Uh, I know that you guys have been, uh, you know, cut off from uh, payment opportunities uh go ahead and update my audience as to how they can support you guys yeah gofundme froze our funds in a fundraiser to for us to bring on staff three of the best young journalists best young anti-war journalists that are working today kit clarenberg alex rubenstein and wyatt reed and so we went over to spot fund and they appear to be transferring the funds so go to spot fund Great. if you want to support our efforts um, to expand build the future of the gray zone um, just you know look up the gray zone there go to my twitter account and the way to donate there is, is it's pinned at my account um but Perfect. yeah and we're defunding gofundme like they're obviously some powerful state pro-war entity has told them uh that they can't transfer our funds so. Yeah, well, it's either that or, or it's just a banking institution functioning under ESG, but we can have that debate some other time. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Max Blumenthal. I uh, really appreciate you, and, and I appreciate the insights for my audience's sake. Uh, I feel feel better educated on the Israel-Palestine conflict uh, as someone who's tried to avoid it as best I can because I just don't want to be involved, uh, but it, this has been very insightful. Thank you again. All right. Man. Thanks, Clint. Let's do it again. For help, it looks to me like Joe Biden was saying, okay, son, you send that to the owner of Burisma and tell him help is on the way. Tell him daddy's coming. Daddy's coming and he's going to save us all. And that's what it looks like has happened. And they used a pseudonym to disguise it. That's why you know I, I tell people when they say, why is it taking so long in this investigation? The pseudonyms are just an example. They have done everything in their ability to block and obstruct this investigation. Joe Biden wants to say he's the most transparent president in the United States. That's bull crap. He's the least transparent president in the United States. If he were innocent, he would be cooperating with this committee and, and trying to save his good name. But he continues to act like there's nothing to see here. When that email on the screen is a government email where Joe Biden was using a pseudonym and he copied his son about a shady, shady transaction where Joe Biden was going to leverage American tax dollars to save his son's butt and probably his own butt if that FBI forms right that he took a bribe. So I think this is very concerning.
could you talk to us about the timing of this all? Again, the allegations that this might have taken place before President Biden was in the Oval Office, does that impact uh, what the House of Representatives might be able to do when it comes to inquiries, even opening one up about potential impeachment, as I know some of your GOP colleagues have called for? It, it happened while he was the Vice President of the United States. And what we're concerned is, we, we have no doubt the president, the vice president is probably the most corrupt vice president in the history of America. Uh, you've already seen too many things where his family was creating these fake companies. They were getting all these wires from foreign nationals. They can't explain what they were doing to get this money. Does that compromise him as being president of the United States? Is that why he's soft on China? Is that why Joe Biden continues to put China first and America last? Because his family received millions and millions of dollars from China. Is that why we're giving Ukraine a blank check for their war against Russia? Is that because he uh, accepted the bribe, like the FBI form said? Is it because he was sharing government information with his son and he leveraged tax dollars to fire that prosecutor, Shokin, who was investigating his son? I mean, these are legitimate questions, and there is more than enough evidence that would suggest the House of Representatives needs to take this uh, at least to the point of impeachment inquiry. Well, I don't often play you clips from Newsmax, but seeing as there are no other <laughs> news channels that appear to be digging like this, got to do what I got to do. That was Representative James Comer, who's been doing much of the investigating, uh, or at least uh, bringing the evidence of the investigation to the public. And as Max Blumenthal uh, you know, clarified, I think that this is this is quite evident that this is the reason that there is a blank check to Ukraine. I personally think it's a good thing that we are not taking a a uh, kind of a war drum beating uh, path towards China. Uh, obviously, I would rather us be doing it because we're not interventionist and not just corrupt and profiting from that that uh, non-militaristic stance. But it's uh, regardless, it it needs to be disclosed to the public. And I think that the political class that is participating in this is a bipartisan affair, and they all need to be removed from office as soon as possible. And I, I wish it weren't bipartisan, just being honest with you, my Republican viewers and listeners out there, uh, but it's quite clear to me that this is bipartisan in nature, that there is an immense, immense amount of corruption that was happening in Ukraine, and there was many, 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 if not a majority of politicians uh, up, up on Capitol Hill that were profiting from that corruption. And now we risk World War III because of it. So for those that go, uh, you know, it's just, it's just corruption. It's just getting paid for political favoritism. You know, that's, that's the nature of politics. Yeah. Yeah. You're right to a certain extent, but it rises to the level of, uh, existential threat and, and increased curiosity when you realize that these wars are almost certainly transpiring because of that corruption. And that is not acceptable. I think that's fair to say. Let's uh, transition a little bit. I got a couple more things I want to cover with you. I'm going to, since I've been giving my uh, GOP listeners a hard time, I'm going to give you more of a hard time. This is Donald Trump with Glenn Beck over on The Blaze. This country was coming together. Then we got hit with COVID. We did a great job with COVID. It has never been acknowledged, but it will be in history. We did a great job with the ventilators and all the things we did. Because nobody knew what it was. Nobody had any clue as to what mm -hmm. it was. And we did a great job. This country was coming together. Then we got but, hit. <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure. Nobody knew what it was. Except for Fauci. Um, <laughs> and probably Burks. And uh, certainly a bunch of other... Uh, people within DARPA and the CIA. But aside from that, I would believe that Trump probably didn't know what it was at the time. That doesn't mean that he handled it great. And to try and rewrite history is insulting. And it should be insulting to your intelligence. Because I, a non-scientist, not even a journalist, at least not at the time, certainly, uh, was, well, still not, I'm just a political commentator, um, but I was able to figure much of this out in the summer of 2020. Unfortunately, I had to delete all my old tweets because of the censorship apparatus and I didn't want to lose my account. But anybody that was following me back then or listening to the show knows that uh, I was able to figure it out, much of it, very, very early on. And 
Trump was the president during that period. And he was having Fauci and Burks and all these other liars and corrupt individuals up on the stage alongside him as they destroyed not just America, but the global economy. And feel however you want to feel about him in terms of, you know, yes, I've acknowledged Russiagate and all this other, uh, you know, attempted soft coup stuff to get him out of power. And maybe he is the best hope of actually getting back into power and addressing much of this. But I'll tell you, it makes me extraordinarily skeptical that he is the guy for the job when he is unwilling or incapable of reflecting on the mistakes he made in that year. And what disturbs me most is not just that it appears to be, uh, you know, politics where he's just trying to make himself look as if, you know, he did a great job, but it seems sincere. And that that's what disturbs me most is that he was lied to consistently by Fauci during that period. He, he acted on those lies. He stood down as governors locked down and destroyed local economies, but he also, uh, you know, chastised governors that reopened. He, he did a lot of things that were absolutely with 2020 vision in hindsight, they were absolutely wrong, absolutely incorrect. And yet we did a great job with COVID. We handled it great and history will prove that. According to Donald Trump, no, wrong and not acceptable, not an acceptable perspective at all. And I, for the life of me, I don't understand how his supporters are able to look at that and just be okay with it. You guys know he's wrong. You guys know what he did during that period was absolutely fucking awful. It was awful. So maybe he's the answer moving forward. Call, color me skeptical. If you're not able to reflect on your mistakes and they were mistakes, then what the fuck? Why should I have any faith in you moving forward? Go ahead and leave some comments down below. You tell me why I'm wrong. You tell me why he should feel great about how he handled COVID. Tell me why you feel great about how he handled it. Go ahead. I'll, I'll, I'll wait. <laughs> I'll wait. You tell me why I'm wrong. Um, and we got one more thing I want to cover before we get out of here. Just to show that even though Trump is <laughs> very, very wrong about all that, you still have a lot of humor that can come from these people. Uh, this is, I forget his name, but he is on, uh, on the five on Fox news. Uh, what's his name? Harold Ford jr. This is such a great clip. I think the message from is get the shot if you want. I if will. If you want it, don't, go ahead. Don't get it. Where you're going to get, get, get another one. I just said I'm not going to ask anybody if they're it? getting their shot. Get, I won't wear a mask, but I'm going to get the shot. You are? How, what number shot is this for you? I've had it every t So I'm, I'm <laughs> doing one in October. I have one in April. How many? What's the total? So, oh, this yeah. will be my seventh. <laughs> seventh oh, shot. And I've had COVID three times. Coming up. <laughs> <laughs> you believe there's people like that out there like how how do these people even exist i don't i don't understand it he's just like i'm gonna keep you know i got my uh my hepatitis shot hepatitis four or five times <laughs> how many shots you got for it seven how many times you got hepatitis three no 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 critical thinking happening there no no reflection on your decision making skills no no uh you know Reflection on the the advice from the medical community as you continue to do this to yourself. Nothing. And he says it. He says it on national TV and just laughs about it. I don't, for the life of me. What the fuck is wrong with these people? What is wrong with you? Why are you doing this? You're, you're taking something that you don't even know what the long-term consequences are. And you're still getting the thing that it's supposed to prevent. Which you also don't know the long-term consequences of getting it. So it's like, what the fuck? Brother, wake up. Anyways, if you want to support my work, I, I still have about 20 slots left because <laughs> I'm following back all of the uh, the people that become subscribers over on X or Twitter.com. Uh, if you follow me and you subscribe to me for five bucks a month, I will follow you back. And uh, I really appreciate those that have already done so. Uh, does help 
you know, if you, if you do it through a browser, as opposed through, as opposed to doing it through like Apple, uh, it, it only takes like a 3% cut. So if you do it from your PC, I'd appreciate it. Um, just trying to, trying to get some money, uh, so I can help grow the show. And if you guys appreciate these interviews, if you appreciate this message, that's the best way to do so. Second best way to do so would be locals, uh, libertylockdown.locals.com. And then the third best way, as always, pick up some new Liberty Lockdown shirts. We got some new brands, new stylings, as you can see in the top left corner there, uh, over on toplobster.com. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. As always, I'm going to read you off some of the five-star reviews that you guys have left for me over on Apple Podcasts. It really helps with the algorithms, and uh, I really appreciate you guys leaving them. Kelly Loves TKD says, five stars, love. The podcast is amazing. Thank you, Kelly. Shoot the Moon Mom says, Clint is cool. Met Clint once. He said I was based. Very based. <laughs> Thank you, Shoot the Moon Mom. Uh, Groovy Squirrel says, one star, mindless drivel. It's the preferred source of information for dullards and idiots. Well, thank you for tuning in, dullards and idiots. I appreciate your support. Groovy Squirrel, I don't appreciate you. Uh, Chopper7926 says, five stars, at Biden Lost in 20. Love your take on just about everything, even if I don't agree on everything. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. You don't have to agree with everything, but you're wrong if you don't. <laughs> Mike Rowe says, great podcast, informative podcast that I highly recommend. Thank you, sir. Micro underscore legacy X in parentheses. Oh, I think he just means that it's over on X. So micro underscore legacy. Uh, MGPV says five stars, defense of capitalism. I enjoy your podcast very much. I believe that true self-interest is the principle that leads to human flourishing and a better life for all individuals. Hello, Ayn Rand. Thank you for leaving a review. I believe this uh, morality is the only defense of capitalism against collectivism of all types. Our society's default morality of altruism is the ultimate problem. Individuals should never be subjugated to any group, state, proletariat, church, the needy, the racial group, etc. Please consider inviting Yaron Brook for an interview or perhaps cover one of his debates and or shows, podcasts, YouTube videos. Ah, see, I knew you were a Randian. You want me to have Yaron on? <laughs> I, know, I know this ideology well. Uh, and I'd be open to having you on. On, it's a hard tongue twister. MGP Terp says five star podcast episode number two eighty eight. The real RFK Junior is a must listen. Excellent questions and moderation of the discussion. In the end, a very insightful view that one can take into consideration if voting in the Uniparty upfront propaganda campaigns and back end manipulations of the count. Americans have freedom to go vote, but have been restricted since these two parties organized before the Civil War and created both economic and structural barriers of entry to any other party, candidate, or voice other than Demopublican in the electoral process. Freedom to go vote for now, but hardly freedom of the vote other than the better of two evils. Correct. And Sonia says, Jupres, I'm just here to leave a five-star review. The end. Well, thank you for the five-star review. Not Slarlilertied says, another great one. But he leaves me five, four stars. What the fuck? Uh, says, I'm allergic to the complaining voice that is often the case in podcasts. This is not one of them. Thanks, good sir, for the calm but passionate breakdown of the topics of the day. Well, you're welcome. But up into five stars, bro. Uh, Greenick says, Clint Russell will say what's in your heart. I was listening to the previous episode where Clint was recognizing something that I had noticed about the Trump prosecution. And I realized that he does this all the darn time. He sees the iniquities that I see and eloquently skewers them like I would if I had a powerful voice and no fear like he does. Well, thank you. He says, God bless you, Clint. Keep speaking truth to power. We are out here and we are your brothers and sisters. You are indeed. It is a big family and I am grateful to be related to you. Five stars, Jihad. <laughs> I get it. G-H-A-A-D <laughs> says thumbs up. Flame emoji, five stars. We're approaching 700 reviews over on apple podcasts we got a ton of them over on spotify we got a bunch on uh, podcast addict it's amazing it's amazing how many people are listening to the show blows me the fuck away blows me away that so many people are enjoying it uh and and letting me know so thank you bottom of my heart means a lot um got a huge lineup coming up looks like adam curry and james Lindsay will both be on at some point next month and next week, I will be debating Vosh on the war in Ukraine. He is a libertarian socialist, allegedly. Oxymoron, don't think that's a thing. But anyways, uh, he, he is apparently taking the side that supporting Ukraine in that war is a good thing. Which, man, I fucking hate it when libertarians take that position. So, 
that will be on a Twitter Spaces with Josie. I will try and rip the audio and put it up on the RSS feed for this show. So if you are a viewer, I would encourage you to go and subscribe to Liberty Lockdown on Apple Podcasts or Android or wherever you get your podcasts, and uh, you won't miss it. Going to be fireworks. But man, James Lindsay and Adam Curry are two of the, the biggest influences on me over the past couple of years, and I uh, can't wait to have them back on. I've had them both on a couple times, so it's uh, it's amazing. It's amazing to have my heroes on. Dave Smith, Adam Curry, fucking James Lindsay, are you kidding me? What a time to be alive. Make sure you guys leave a comment before you get out of here. Like, subscribe, all the things. I'll catch you soon. Peace. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go?